So I would say force and friction are what you need to care about. The speed is going to be dependent on your organization, the, the complexity of your sales process and, and some other things. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Black Line Podcast. Mike, we have got another exciting guest. Um, we been, do. I've, I've, I've been working to try to find our way uh, to, to get him on. And, you know, you know he's big because the Nats just won the wild card. And we're not going to be talking about the Nats to start off the show like we usually do. Today we have Kevin Dunn from HubSpot and HubSpot Academy specifically. Kevin, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about who you are and how you ended up where you are? Sure. Well, Doug, Mike, super psyched to be here. Been trying to force my way onto this show for a while, so I appreciate you guys letting me in. <laughs> now, you said something about the Nationals. Now, I'm from Boston, as you guys know. Um, I was led to believe the baseball season was canceled, so I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't know there was yeah, no baseball the... being played. <laughs> yeah, we, we, um, we, we understand how it works in New England. Yeah, we'll yeah that's right. That's right. It. Uh, It'll happen actually, this year in football too. NFL will will, will end uh, will end early. Well, we actually have a matchup with Washington, uh, the Pats do this Sunday. So uh, we got to we'll figure out a bet. That's after the Pats. Oh, that, but, that, uh, that's an easy uh, easy win for the Pats. You know what? <laughs> let, let me just tell you. Let me just tell you. I do not think that it's appropriate for the Patriots to be playing a high school football team. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but I digress. Um, so I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, so I am one of the managers of education with HubSpot Academy. So uh, if, if the folks that are, are tuning in aren't familiar with HubSpot Academy, it's the, the training and education arm of HubSpot, uh, you know, uh, training classes, certifications, courses, lessons, uh, it's completely free for any user. Uh, and so I manage the partner and developer lanes of our courses. So where you might see some customer education for our customer base, we have partner education for our solution partners, folks uh, like Doug, the Dougs of the world. And then we have our developer education. So those two lanes, partner and developer, uh, I have the, uh, the, the luckiness of uh, leading those teams. Are, are you telling me there, there might be people who are not familiar with HubSpot Academy? Is that, is that possible? You just, Doug, you never want to assume, uh, but uh, hopefully uh, your audience, check. I can see the audience of this show, hopefully at least has heard of them before or heard of us before. But, uh, but go check it out if you haven't. No, I actually hope they haven't because that means we're getting someone other than my mom is listening to the show. And that That's would always be good. <laughs> yeah. What, what sort of certifications does she have? Um, uh, she doesn't allow me to disclose that. <laughs> she maybe hasn't, you know, now, now that we mentioned it, she maybe hasn't heard of HubSpot Academy. So who, All who right, knows? All right, we got one. <laughs> In, anyways, I will say this. I will give this shout out. Then we'll get into the real stuff. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with HubSpot Academy or you haven't, um, if you haven't taken advantage of it, I got to, I mean, you guys give away a lot of good stuff, man. You know, it, it, it's funny for me. It's, it's almost like I've had to raise my content game because you guys are giving away so much stuff that's, you know, that, that gets, I mean, I wish my college, I got a college degree in marketing. I wish it had been as applicable as, and I'm not, you know, I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. I wish it was as applicable as that. And, uh, so in anybody that hasn't uh, seen it or checked it out, um, get on it and make it happen. Appreciate the uh, kind endorsement, man. Thank you. All right. So Mike and I, um, for the last year, have um, both praised and um, what's the, when you make fun of, what's a shorter word for that? Like praised and... Um, Teased? And, yes. Um, the flywheel. I hear that's a big thing at HubSpot. Yeah, just slightly, just slightly. So, um, so what is the flywheel? Yes, it's a great question. Um, I would say the long and short of it is this. Uh, it's an effective way, or I guess it's a framework uh, or a methodology for how businesses should be thinking about the way uh, they deliver the best customer experience they can. And they should use the flywheel, uh, again, as a framework for, for, for growth uh, of their business. Now, when I talk about flywheel, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's what you should be using to replace, and Doug, I can imagine you're, you're a, a fan of this term, the funnel, right? So whereas the funnel used to be the framework in which businesses grow, right? They market, sell, they service, the output is customers. Flywheel is that 2019, 2020 and beyond way of thinking of replacing funnel with flywheel. Uh, I'm happy to get into to the reasons why it's such an impactful uh, transition to make as a business. Doug is so, actually a fan of the bulging Funnel, not the funnel, the bulging funnel. Bulging. 
Okay. I'm not a fan of the bulging oh, I'm, I, know, I, am, I, I am the uh, I am the doctor who diagnosed the bulging funnel disorder. Bulging funnel. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. You, do you want to tell everybody that may not be? I mean, I we use flywheel. Um, kind of what? Why? With, without getting into the detail of the flywheel, that as as you guys talk about it, why don't you just talk about what a flywheel is and why it's a good metaphor for how a business should be run? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it's a it's a rotational source of energy, right? Uh, and a flywheel works, uh, or it has two factors that influence the speed of the rotation of a flywheel, right? We're not even talking about the business metaphor, but a flywheel- You way too much time with Lou, go on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, Lou, I know Lou was just on this, so you're gonna hear this word again, but uh, for a flywheel to spin as fast and to grow as large as it possibly can, you need to remove friction, right? Uh, a marble is not gonna roll as far on sandpaper as it will super smooth. So you wanna, you wanna reduce the friction of your flywheel but at the same time, you want to apply force, right? So with more force and less, uh, less friction, that flywheel is going to spin and spin and spin. Uh, and again, that'll, that'll tie really well uh, into the way, you know, businesses should be thinking about their operating system. So I think the flywheel, let, 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 let's get the battle right off on, you know. Oh, right I off love it. Yes. So I, I think the flywheel is a great metaphor for business growth. I think it's a bad metaphor as a replacement for the funnel. Um, Interesting. Realizing that I am no fan of the funnel, I think the funnel, I mean, the funnel is the wrong, um, the, the funnel is the wrong uh, metaphor or analogy or whatever, or a simile or, you know, all that stuff. I feel like I'm in English <laughs> class again. Sorry. Um, you know, so, so the, the funnel was wrong. But and, and I'll get it, I'll get into why the fly why I don't think the flywheel is is a good replacement for the funnel, but still is a great metaphor for business. Um, and so I'm I'm pretty sure that some of it comes from if anyone's read or is familiar with the book Good to Great, uh, Jim Collins talks about the doom loop and the flywheel. So the other thing about a flywheel is a flywheel is you know not only is it something that 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 um, that translates energy, it stores energy so that it becomes yeah. so it builds its own momentum so that your your pull so the doom loop is the heart of getting the flywheel going and then once you get a flywheel going it becomes easier and easier and easier to maintain kind of like if you think of a hand pump with water once you get the sure. water flowing it's you know it's really hard to get it flowing and then once you get it flowing it keeps its own momentum so that and, yeah, and, that's a great point and and so you know the idea of 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 force and eliminating the right friction um because i got you know I'm sure, I'm sure Lou shared some of our thoughts on that. I mean, one, one of the dangers uh, that, you know, that we get into is, is that, you know, not all friction is bad. You know, I, I, I think, so, so I like that. And, and the idea of you've got to be bringing in, um, you know, you, what, what, what the, it's what attract, engage, delight. Is that the three? Yes, I see it. Yes, sir. You yeah, might, I, studied. I studied. Yeah, yeah, you did study. And, and so I think that, you know, as you attract, as you engage, and as you delight, and that, that builds a reinforcement to it. The problem is, and, and, and this might be, um, well, so I'll, to make it a discussion rather than just my, um, my, my straight observation. So the problem I have with it is that those three components operate at different speeds with different rhythms and, and different critical success factors. I see what you're saying. Now, I would say this, right? At the end of the day, I think, I think the, in an argument in favor of the flywheel, I think the inherent flaw of, of using a funnel is that, you know, you at the very top, the widest net, folks that have heard of you or know of you, and then folks that have begun engaging or speaking with you. And then that, that output, right, the, the bottom of the funnel, it, it produces a customer. And then again, it's an output. So it's, that's an end result, right? So customers by the wayside, I think the flaw with that sort of framework is that it doesn't reveal the momentum you could have by producing a great product or a great service or like a remarkable customer experience. Now on the flip side with the flywheel, customers are right at the center, right? Your customer experience is right at the center. You mentioned attract, engage, and delight, which I would say are responsibilities. Uh, it's not just marketers who are attract. It's not just sales who are engaged, right? I mean, I think it's everybody owns all three of sections or components of that inbound methodology. 
but you know, with the flywheel, you can actually see how service then actually feeds marketing, right? So it's using that momentum of your happy customers, your promoters, and like, that's a channel for marketing, right? I mean, that's a channel for, for driving referrals, good word of mouth, cross-seller, upsell opportunities, repeat sales, et cetera. So I think the placement of the customer, uh, that's the inherent flaw as an output of the, the, the funnel, but being at the center of the flywheel, um, I think there's just so much more you can unlock, especially where, where growth levers are going uh, in business right now. Mike, why don't you tell us what you think, and then I'll add, um, I'll add a thought to that, and then that'll plug to, I think, what'll be a very interesting conversation from there. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I think we're potentially, like, again, I, I don't, I, I like the methodology or framework of the funnel, or of the funnel, but I also like the, the framework and methodology of the flywheel. And while it's, in, I guess, in a, a newer concept that HubSpot is, is, is talking about, um, I think every good business has, al has always kind of implemented a flywheel. Uh, oh, I don't agree with that. Okay, well, that's fine. Well, every good business, I mean, every good business. What, what good business? Hold on, every good business. Well, I mean, by, from a viral perspective, or not even from a virality, but from a customer success perspective, has a good sales process contract, you know, attract, convert, engage, has good customer service. And, you know, and, and those things all just feed on themselves. Blockbuster. I mean, there's, there, I, I would, sure, they can be, they could, any good business can be disrupted. No, Blockbuster they didn't have a flywheel. Friction. Yeah, they had too much friction. Well, but, too but, much uh, friction. well, no, but what I'm saying is Blockbuster was a very good business. And, and they did not have a flywheel. And as a matter of fact, okay. they, 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 had, they had a term that, that they used called managed dissatisfaction. It's like, you know, what their, their customer service philosophy was basically, yeah, they're going to get frustrated. Let's just make sure they don't get so frustrated. Right. No, the airline, that, that, the airline that, industry. But, the airline that, industry. But, they, but right. But that, I, I shouldn't say every good business. What I should say is what, you know. So you agree with me. What business? business, business that that necessarily, what business? that is, is alive today that's continuously growing. I mean, yeah, we've seen that we've seen, what is it? 50, 60% of the fortune 500 has died in the past 10, 15 years, like just gotten acquired, gone. You know, the people that were fortune 500 15 years ago are no longer fortune 500. They're gone. But the, the businesses that still exist have good customer support. They, they totally focus on that. They have a good product and they have a good sales product. So the Comcast has good customer support. No, they have shit customer support. So why are they doing so well? Well, because they're a for a lot of regions, there's no other choice. I don't know, <laughs> you know. Well, no, no, but, but so I'm, I'm, geographic but, complexity because they know? have great because they have great lobbyists and you know there's, there's a number of reasons. Now, now, Doug, I don't know if, if we want to hit I'm this. Just, I don't know on, if we want to hit this pivot. Yeah, sorry, man. I I don't know if we want to go down this direction right now. So feel free to tell me to to put this in the parking lot for now. But I think as you bring up the blockbuster example, any good transition from a funnel to flywheel you have to be super in tune with like your customer journey right i don't think blockbuster mapped their customer journey well because if you map your customer journey you can see those friction points and you can see those points of force right all of a sudden if they were were mapping their customer journey they say hey listen it's friction late fees friction uh having to leave your house and you know go miles away to rent a movie friction uh, and so, as you mentioned, they, they no longer exist, but good flywheel businesses audit the customer journey, remove those friction points, and, and maybe they could have acquired a Netflix. Okay, well, we're going to go down a, we're going to go down a rabbit hole that I had no, I hadn't thought about <laughs> until today. Um, and, 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 and so the reason I said what I said is that, you know, it, it's really easy to explain success from behind. It's yeah. really hard. It's really hard to talk to people who are trying to get somewhere. Um, and, and, and so that's where I think the flywheel is, is, is valuable. So, so Mike, even if you are correct that every good business quote unquote has one, um, you like how, see Mike's Switzerland, right? I'm, I'm, um, I'm the Eastern <laughs> yeah. or Western block, depending upon which one here, whether you agree or disagree with me. Um, and, but so the, like, so we talk about Blockbuster and, and it, it ha I happen to be thinking about Blockbuster because I'm actually listening to um, the book, It'll Never Work, which is, I, and I, Mark, I can't remember his last name, but it was, he was actually the original CEO of Netflix. 
So, oh, okay. I'm, you know, all this stuff is, is kind of firsthand as I talk about it. And, you know, people talk about how Blockbuster screwed the pooch and this and that, et cetera. Um, one mistake that I think people make is it infers that Blockbuster was supposed to evolve and last forever. So like, like my problem with Jim Collins' first book, Built to Last, is I don't think every business, I don't even think a business when it, when it's created, like its goal should not be to be built to last, right? Could people say, well, Blockbuster had, if Blockbuster had just done whatever, they had all the user base, they had this, they could have put Netflix out. Yeah, I, I, I could see why, why you say that, but then I go, could they really? They, they were a $6 billion company. They had 9,000 locations. They had, 30, I forget it was like 30 or 50,000 employees. Netflix was a $5 million company. They had 350 employees. Um, if Blockbuster had had the foresight, they would have, um, they would have cannibalized their business, right? Um, now we can say, you know, the Steve Jobs quote, hey, if you don't cannibalize your own business, someone else will, <laughs> right? But, good quote. That's a good quote. But when you cannibalize six billion with five million, you cannibalize a lot really fast. And oh, you've got nine thousand locations that you rolled up, fifty, you know, however many thousands of employees, that gets disrupted. You, the, the people, the type. So the people who started Netflix, they were dot-com believers. It was a video rental store founded in Silicon Valley. What the is a video rental store being founded in Silicon? Blockbuster was a Dallas company. When Blockbuster got turned around, it was the guy who turned around Taco Bell, right? It was a consumer products company. Uh, it's, 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 you know, people said, well, the buggy whip manufacturer, if the buggy whip company had just seen ahead, they would have become the automobile manufacturer, except for the fact, explain to me how making buggy whips and making automobiles have anything in common, right? And so some of where we get, where, where I think we get lost is that like, a business has a game to play. What is the game that you're playing, right? Uh, look, I ran, there was a business that I ran that I knew I was, it was a business that I was getting out of because I was on to my next thing. And I looked at it and I said, I want to sell it. And I started talking to people about what I could get for it. And I looked at it and I said, you know, if I just ran, if I just hired one or two people to maintain it for, you know, I, I didn't put any more resources to it to, you know, to grow it, to move it forward. I made sure that, you know, that, that I was delivering on the promise that I gave. So you're like nothing, I wasn't screwing anybody. I said, well, you know, what'll happen is I'll, I'll, the, the business will drop, will die of attrition. And so I could get a three-year payout for X, or I figured it would probably take about five years for my, for this business to die of attrition. It ended up taking about seven or eight years for it to die of attrition. <laughs> and right? you netted probably more. I meant, yeah. Right. And so, was that a bad decision? No. Right. And, and, and so I, I, I just think, you know, it, you know, it, it, it a lot, we have a tendency to attribute failure. You know why Blockbuster doesn't exist anymore? Because the world changed. Right. And like, yeah. why can't that be enough? Well, Doug, I, I would yeah, say, I, uh, uh, go okay. ahead, go ahead. No, 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 Kyle or Kevin, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. no, I, I was just going to say, Doug, to your point where not every business uh, wants to be built to last. I would say that is the majority though, right? And, and as we combat friction versus flywheel, I would say maybe a better way to put it is regardless of the framework you use, you need something that validates or gives you the right visibility into your customer experience. Sure. Understands the importance and the value it plays in driving more business for your customer. But you also need to be introspective on all of those points of drag or friction, what your inefficient processes are doing, right? So it's not so much the imagery as, as like the emphasis on the customer experience and, and what it can do for you. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, so, I mean, th- th- this is a fun one for us to talk about right now, because you guys know I, I basically agree with everything that you're saying, but um, but I do it. Like, I'm not, I'm not just taking the other side for the sake of it. Let's talk about the airline business, because this is a place, by the way, where I think the focus on friction is going to hurt a lot of businesses. Let's take mm. a look at the airline industry. Um, you know, a lot of people say the airline industry has no customer service philosophy or they have a bad customer. <laughs> you know, the, the airline industry has a very clear customer service philosophy. And if you understand it, everything they do makes a lot of sense. Do you guys know what the airline's customer service philosophy is? I love Mike's face right now. He's looking at me like, what the is he going to say? You guys know what the philosophy is? Go ahead. We're not happy until you're not happy. Yeah. Right? It makes all, like, everything they do now makes sense. But here's the question. Should airlines reduce the friction? Now, wh- how would you define the friction for airlines? Like, what what are their their moments identifying of all the things that frustrate the hell out of every single traveler and too many seats Checking, on a plane, too bags, everything, right? Should, all, all of that stuff, yeah. But right. uh, anyways, keep going with this. Thing. Should should they reduce friction? Well, I feel like we are starting to see, to some degree, some airlines are right. Free Wi-Fi, Who? TVs, extra light. JetBlue, for example. So, so JetBlue brought in JetBlue brought in um, um, TV when when they started, right? And they ended up buying the company. Um, is that is 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 that eliminating friction or is that adding features? True. So I guess now the debate is that removing friction or is it adding force? So maybe TVs are adding force, providing Wi-Fi is removing friction because people want to be connected to devices, answer emails, etc. So is, they're doing is JetBlue both, giving it away for? Is JetBlue giving Wi-Fi away for free? Kevin, that's a, that's an interesting point. I think Kevin has a great point there, where they're where they're increasing force but also eliminating friction. But yeah, oh. JetBlue does have free Wi-Fi. Okay, so right now JetBlue is the only one that has free Wi-Fi. If there's another airline out there that offers free Wi-Fi, I don't know if I found them yet. Yeah, <laughs> I'd I mean, love I, to know if there are other ones that exist. <laughs> yeah, um, because if you take a look at the airline industry, and I, you know, I, I was involved in the travel industry for a number of years, right? And 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 here's part of the problem. Um, there were a number of airlines that attempted to provide superior service. Um, now you've had some aspects in the, um, you know, Virgin Atlantic in a very small subset. And by, and by the way, for all the noise around Virgin Atlantic and, and their great experience, and now you've got, you know, the, um, you know, Cutter Airlines and Aer Lingus and those, you know, they r- remember that, that all that experience that they're talking about is first class. It, it's, so like if you were to fly Virgin Atlantic from, from London to New York, you have first class where you've got the massage room and, you know, everything you see on TV. And then you've got the, the cattle cart that, that, you know, that makes Southwest look luxurious for, right. And they don't talk about that. Yeah. And, and so, but, but so there were a number of airlines that did like MGM actually started an airline and it was a all first class airline to fly to Las Vegas. Right. And United it issued a, um, you know, United Rising campaign, and they were going to address all of the, you know, the service components and, and, and make flying the, you know, the joy that it's supposed to be. And here was the problem. All those things cost money. Right? Yeah. And if there are two things that determine what airline somebody flies, three, schedule, frequent flyer program, price and price is like if i sell it for a dollar less i will move people and and all you got to do is take a look at spirit airlines (laughs) it was the last rated airline like five years in a row grow 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 now they did finally realize that they had to take care of some of it because one of the big things that hit was like Flights weren't flights were getting canceled at 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 insane rates. Now that's reducing danger, friction. That's reducing friction. <laughs> well, well, but but that's because but from from the from the absolute absolute bottom. So so the problem is like the customer will complain about, right? But but they will not spend a dollar four. Hmm. Right? They won't. 
I, I got all the data that shows it, Mike. But and by the way, what is so? What is, so hold on, hold on. Kevin Doug's gonna get really mad at me for saying this, but you know he he tears me apart in a lot of other podcasts. But hey, have you have you noticed one thing today? Doug is focused on one. Doug, you're aging yourself by talking about these dinosaur type industries, companies, blockbuster, airline industry. The airline industry is ripe for for I no, mean, it's not. Just, 100%. Absolutely. You think no, when autonomous not. cars, you think when autonomous cars are available, autonomous cars, you think you're going to fly to North Carolina or fly to Boston? Hell no. I'm going to get in my autonomous car and I'm going to have it drive me there and I'm going to work the whole way that I go there. I'm going to take a nap and it's all going to be right there in my lap and it's in my car. That has reduced all yep. the friction. You're yep. not taking yep. your because shoes people, off. Because you're people... not three hours in the airport. Right. You're, you're, you're three hours, you're, you're, you're five hours in a seat that, that you, that's about the space of an economy class seat. Because you share with nobody, proven, nobody's coughing on you, you know, people have proven now, by the time I drive to the airport, slower. park, you know, whatever. Five hours, I mean, Uber is another example that, that has reduced, you know, a lot of friction, me having to take out my credit card, et cetera. Um, for the people i mean and we haven't even talked about amazon but i mean talk about them these are all companies i'm not, that are, I'm not anti my here here's my, my my point here is i i see people talking about um response times i could talk to you about multifamily. i know another dinosaur industry mike only the where people live Right, and more people are renting now rather than buying historically. And if you take a look at yeah, but that all that all flip that all flip flops over time. Just like okay, people but, don't but, live in but, city centers, then they move out to the suburbs, and then that's fine. It's the same way right. computing it is, but I'm just saying we had mainframes to open source. Now we're going back to more type mainframe systems. Correct, and 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 so if you take a look at multifamily, you know what determines whether or not um, whether or not um, somebody renews an apartment. Do they still like the okay the location? Do they like their apartment? There, there's, there's all these investments that are beginning to take place in the industry around the customer experience. And, and you know what impact that that has had on renewal rates? Zero. Because no one, nev no one ever said, you know what? I would have stayed here except, you know, the front, like once you live in an apartment, how much time do you spend talking to the person at the front desk or the person in the leasing office? So you know what, you know what the key, now, if you take a look at multifamily, don't suck. Don't, don't be shitty. Don't make it bad. But there's no, but once it's not bad, you don't gain anything for it. Right. Isn't, isn't don't suck uh, uh, just the same thing as having a good customer experience? No, it's having not a bad one. So you've got a bad customer experience. You've got a customer experience that's not bad and you've got a customer experience that's good. Okay. Right. So p part of the problem is the way we keep talking. Do you not agree with that? I, I would say that the act of not any sort of improvement against not being bad is an improvement towards becoming good. Like that's customer experience. You can be the very bottom improving your customer experience. Even if you're going from not the, the absolute worst to the slightly less okay. worst, that's still a focus on the customer so here, experience. Okay. When do you stop improving? Never. See, that's where I disagree, right? There's a, and, and there, 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 as there, soon there's as you stop improving, you are right for disruption. And the reason why people don't move out of apartments is because people are lazy and they don't want to pay for, they, one of the biggest reasons they don't want okay, to pay to move. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The moment you stop improving, you are right for disruption. So does that mean if I don't stop improving, I'm not right for disruption? No, no, it doesn't. It's gonna, it's gonna speed. It's gonna the velocity in no, which disruption could occur. I'm so so. I, I I do not mean nuanced, simple areas of improvement. Okay, but I'm talking. There there there's a point. And and again, by the way, just so everyone knows, I'm a fan <laughs> of customer experience, right? I just so, like, okay. Doug, you're missing customer. Doug, I am absolutely loving this. Having, uh, yeah, we, we've so done the all fact, this that, with the fact that you have to say that proves all you need. That's all that says it all, right? Well, no, but but see, you know what? I'm the wrong person for an airline to hire. 
right? Cause, cause if I, if I were to coach an airline, if I, if I were to like be advising an airline, I would actually not be advising them in, in to, to win their game. I don't play their game. Right. And, and so, you know, here's what I say. There's, there's being sick. And if I'm not sick, that doesn't mean I'm healthy. Right. And, and, and so like, there's, one of the things that's happening, I can't believe that this, this was not the point of today's conversation, but it's good anyway, because <laughs> yeah. this is going to be a different, this is going to be a different podcast. Um, so there's a term called satisficing that everybody in sales and marketing should know. Um, it's a behavioral science term. And basically it's the combination of two words, satisfaction and suffice. And, and what satisficing means is it, it, you, it, it suffices, but it doesn't quite satisfy. And, and I colloquially call it the good enough factor. It's like, it's good enough. And the problem with satisficing when you're dealing with people who are satisficing is they're not satisfied. So they will discuss pain points. They will talk about what they want. They will ask for all kinds of things, right? And they will explain problems and frustrations, et cetera. They won't do anything about it. Unless, unless um, you know, if it can be fixed with them doing virtually nothing, then, then maybe they'll do something. But, but think about this for a second. How many problems do you have? Like if you were to make a list of all the problems that you were aware of, how many, what percentage of those problems would you be actively doing something about? And what percentage of those problems would you be like, yeah, I guess it's a problem, but for whatever reason, right? there's only so many places where we can excel, right? And so we look to maximize about 10% of our life and we satisfy everything else. So, and Chris, I mean, I'm sorry, Mike, you know that, that you're going to agree with me on this because there was, um, you and I had a debate about a, a post that came out around response time on chat. And it was about, you know, how they were trying to get from 30 seconds to 15 seconds. And I asked the question, why? And they said, because faster is better. And I said, is A, is that true? Right? Because one of the things you'll notice is once you get past good enough, unless it's a place where someone, you know, is looking to maximize, once you get past good enough, you will increase somebody's expectation, but you won't get any reward for it. You won't increase loyalty. You won't increase what they pay. Microsoft. All I got to say is Microsoft. Windows 7 came out, right? What happened with Windows 7? Windows 7 was a solution looking for a problem. Windows was good enough. And all of a sudden, you know, the new operating system was better. And, and by the way, what happened shortly after that? Anybody know what happened shortly after that? No. See, they're used to, you guys aren't old enough to remember this. That's why we need somebody with a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more gray hair. Well, right? Kevin Dolan, no. Um, a little more gray hair. I think, there, I think there, I, I, there was a day that we had to pay to upgrade the operating so oh, software yeah. on our computer. Yeah. And so guess what they realized? I mean, yeah, they eliminated friction, but they also eliminated revenue. Right. Because, you know, and, and they made that decision because ultimately they, um, you know, they, they needed to, 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 to give you a reason to stay. And, and oh, by the way, what they also did was they introduced a new piece of friction called forced obsolescence, where now your computer automatically updates, but your chip's not fast enough to actually run the computer. So now you go out and you buy. So instead of upgrading the software, you now go out and upgrade your equipment. Right. And, and so. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Are either of you on Windows computer? Are you guys, are either of you guys operating on Windows? No, I'm a Mac guy. I'm a Mac guy. No, I'm a Mac. But, but Mac so when used you to pay. When you satisfy you lose. You lose to the no. function satisfy. We're talking about Hold Microsoft on, hold on. You don't lose? Microsoft. Are you telling me Microsoft lost? Well, you don't lose, they, but Microsoft, Microsoft fundamentally changed their business, as have companies like Cisco. That's why they moved to a subscription-based business. Sure, they, they, they had to reinvent themselves as a new business. Like, look at Cisco and their hardware business. They, have, they got crushed by the stock market because they were still selling so much hardware and they, and they so got what crushed they were by the market they because they sold so much heart. They said they sold so much hardware in a market that was, that was a fake market. So you oversaturated no, the market no. with and hardware. The reason, no, the way that they. I 
yes. invented themselves. The, they oversaturated the market. There was a so so there was an oversupply of everything, and and not I mean, not, I, I not true. The, net, the, the network is ever growing. Like the network infrastructure in this in the world is ever growing. Okay, well, you just then you just conflicted with what you said. They were selling no, hardware they and they couldn't sell. A, they, they they moved to a subscription based business, which was which was a painful switch. And then Microsoft did the exact same thing. They reinvented themselves to remove friction so that they could increase. They did not remove, they did not reinvent themselves to eliminate friction. And by the way, I'm gonna make an argument with you that subscription eliminates friction. How does subscription eliminate friction? It eliminates, well, it, 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 one, it helps the business. Two, it's something that How I don't does it have help to the think business? about. With the, because I don't have to worry about like coming back to you and saying, hey, I need you to upgrade from Windows 7 to Windows 8. That's all just built in. No, enterprises still need to worry about that and they still need to manage that. And, and you do have to, by the way, when, this, when, when the software upgrades, that has a major, we haven't eliminated friction. We've just changed the economic side of it. That, that's not a friction thing. And by the way, companies are now spending more on technology and it's actually, and, and they don't get to, um, they don't get to spend money from a CapEx standpoint. The, the move to subscription wasn't done for the buyer. The move to subscription was done to, for the seller. Uh, it was done on, I, 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 I wouldn't 100%, I, I agree that- the, I wouldn't 100% agree with what I just part. said either, but I had to make I some argument. Right, I right, think right, something's yeah. worth saying, friction's contextual, right? I think yeah. an enterprise customer uh, with larger change management implications are gonna have a hard, like a larger threshold for the amount of friction they deal with than just somebody that's an individual but, consumer in the subscription model that, that benefits them um, with less touch points and things like easier billing, things great, like that. So great friction's, friction's contextual. So now, now, by the way, all things, I will all agree here, all things being equal, taking away bad friction is good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, but, yeah. But, but let's remember that friction is also good. Like it's not that friction is contextual because- Of course, so when we talk about friction for the flywheel, yeah, it's, it's removing the pain that are inadvertently hurting your customer experience. But I think like, you know, if, if I'm a, a services provider and I have a little bit of friction to make sure that the right prospects are getting through my sales process, because I want them to be qualified and good fits for my services. So there's that extra layer of friction. I, you know, I mean, that, that's probably okay. Friction that hurts the customer experience in a negative way for both parties, um, that's different. So, so let me ask you this question. Are you guys saying that friction that is, that is negative friction should be eliminated, period, end of discussion, or it should be considered that, that there should be a cost benefit analysis to removing that friction? Well, I would say there's always like, there, there's going to be, I would say, yes, you always want to remove negative friction and the cost benefit analysis to that is the, the we, we keep going back to uh, word of mouth and referrals and what customer experience can do to, to spin that wheel and get more folks back as, as leads cross sells or upsells, right? Like we go back to, we were talking about JetBlue. You said you're adverse to the, the, the various airlines. You just want time and, and price. No, no, so no, I'm gonna no. Go I no, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. Actually, I'll, what I'm telling you is every time an airline did anything that gave the customers what they wanted, if it, if it led to a dollar increase in fare, they lost business. And if the airline that they hated gave a dollar less or, mm. it was, or, or it was a direct. So every time they eliminated friction that had any cost, they were penalized for it because the only thing that moved people was, well, frequent flyer programs built a moat, nonstop with schedule. So like, I'm not gonna go out of my way to, you know, that, that became something. And what, what is the number one thing is price. Cause by the way, we have people from Philadelphia who fly out of BWI. They're 20 minutes from Philadelphia airport and they drive to BWI because Southwest flies out of BWI. They don't fly out of Philadelphia. So they save a hundred bucks and they spend two hours to get there, right? Now, I think we can agree that driving two hours to fly out of Baltimore instead of Philadelphia is friction, right? And, 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 and so my, my, my point is, is just that 
Like at, at some point, if I were, you know what? But, but okay, okay. So on, on the Southwest side and on the JetBlue side, the both of them actually had very smart campaigns when they were, when they were coming up. One is reduce friction with Southwest, bag fly free. Except JetBlue, that, except that JetBlue doesn't make things. money. Okay, well, I mean. And Southwest does. And by the way, you know how Southwest was the only profitable airline for like a period of eight years? They were like, everyone talked about Southwest, Southwest, and the Southwest experience. Because you know why because Southwest they purchased gas. Because they, they bought, or, right, they, right. they bought their gas up front and they, they had, had contracts for they had, eight they, years. They had, right. their, they had a 10-year hedge on gas, right? Exactly, yeah, on oil. Right. right. So, right. so let's get out of airlines. Let's get out of airlines. But, let's talk about but JetBlue also grew as a market. Like I remember, and to Kevin's point, I remember, being like, man, I got to fly to the West Coast. Yep. yep, yep. And I would literally drive to Dulles, which is 45 minutes away from my yep. house versus National, which is yep. 10 minutes from my house, yep. so that I could fly on JetBlue and watch yep. TV. Yep. And guess what else? Guess what else was true about that JetBlue uh, fare? It was less expensive. Because that was the uh, basic. No, yes, it was. Yes, it was. They are a low fare airline. They are at the low, they are the low side. When Nealman ran them, they were the whole, it was, they are the low fare airline. And you'll see. And by the way, I paid, I paid my company was paying for my airline. I didn't give at that point. I didn't I'm just, care. okay. I'm just telling you. I, I mean, I, I, I know Dave Nealman. I, I mean, I don't know him well. I've met Dave Nealman. I've had a chance to talk to him. By the way, JetBlue got to a certain size. And then all of a sudden that model didn't, you know, they're, they're, but let's not talk about airlines because none of our customers are airlines. <laughs> none of our customers are Cisco. But let's talk about chat, right? Let's talk about response time, right? So 30 seconds is better than a minute. A minute is better than five minutes. Five minutes is better than 10 minutes. All right. So, so if we want to eliminate friction, we want to eliminate negative friction and it should be eliminated. Should I go from, should, should the objective of my um, business to be, to be able to respond to chat within 30 seconds? It's hard to say that in a vacuum because you're going to have a lot of decisions to make and ways to prioritize all your areas of friction, right? So if in your analysis of your customer journey, you see our chat response time is the number one opportunity to reduce friction, then yeah, then that should be something Wait, you-, you number one on. opportunity to reduce- So how do you define our number one opportunity to reduce friction? What, is, what, is, what would cause you to say something is my number one opportunity to reduce friction? There's, there's, no, there's no blanket answer like for all businesses. But I mean, if you have a pretty good sense of your customer journey, where in your sales process do prospects drop off? Where in your marketing process do you see folks stop responding, engaging with your content? No, uh, I, don't do you, see, I don't see anybody dropping off. I, like, I don't know, but, but hey, it's friction. So I should want to get it to 30 seconds. Now, the argument for reducing chat time is this, right? If I'm a customer of yours or somebody that, that engages you on chat and you respond to me in 30 seconds, it's a delightful experience for me. I'll be encouraged to chat you again. I'll tell my friends that this business has really great customer service. And over time, that sort of word of mouth and delightful customer experience uh, should be a fuel engine for more business from me, but me telling my network of how wonderful an experience it is working with you. I don't know what you sell in this example, um, but you I know, sell I, I me, let's say it's my business. Let's say it's my yeah. business. Do you, think, do you think that would impact word of mouth on my business? When I'm looking uh, for, for marketing or sales uh, service providers, uh, I want to be heard. I want to be gotten back to as quickly as possible. Customer service is really important to me uh, as a client of, a, of a, a, a business like yours. And the fact that you answer my chats in less than 30 seconds is going to keep me around as a customer. Maybe I'll invest more because you're so easily to get in touch with. And if I have any networks in my, you know, what, anybody else in my network that's looking for an agency, you know, I'm going to recommend you because of the delightful. So what if, I, what if I need to hire two more people to be able to staff that or I need to tell my people to have their phones on at dinner time? Right. No, I, I, there's absolutely a cost benefit analysis to it. If, that's, if it's going to cost that much to reduce conversations by 30 seconds, again, it now, goes back to prioritizing. There's probably, now, uh, yeah, okay, go ahead. No, if I were selling widgets. HubSpot makes a bot for that, by the way. That's exactly it. <laughs> oh yeah, because bots are. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take that bait. Um, if I were selling uh, a a flingamawitzit that went into the widget, and and there was and I and there was a large widget base, and and the flingamawitzit thingy needs to go into the widget, then. I would see that being absolutely because it's a very clean, 
it, you know, it, it, it's very transactional. And, I, and so I'm seeing that, that there's a drop off that's happening there. And so I go, you know what, if we can get faster response time, because, oh, by the way, if, I'm, if I ask you, and this flingamajigger is pretty much a commodity, like I've got my thing, but someone else has their thing, then, then yes, there's a difference there. For us, as long as chat's not a problem, then we don't spend a penny more thinking about it. Because to spend a penny thinking about that means we don't have a penny to think about, to put towards the two to like, for our business, I don't think our chat response time will never be the top, in the top five reasons that someone stays with us. Over time, no, maybe not an isolated incident, but it rolls into this larger customer experience, right? Yeah, but everything that plus does. your email response time, right? Plus uh, how the invoicing process goes, plus the you know delivery of your services, like all of these are bundled up into the customer experience. It's like death by a thousand cuts, right? So it's like it's not going to be the single measure, but all of that amounts to friction, and you want to remove it uh, collectively. So do you want my idea for how to eliminate the highest friction points that you can't justify spending money to eliminate? Sure. Yes. Yes. Just tell people that it's going to happen. Like, did you know, did you know that if you showed up for a train, like you, the uh, Massachusetts, what is MDTA? Is that what it is? MBTA, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hear, I hear, I hear that's a really, uh, I hear that like that's a flawless system. I, I, everything I've heard about is low friction. Yeah, right. Yeah, no friction there. Right. <laughs> Monopoly, so, once again. So, yeah. so you, you wake up late. Listen, listen to that. Listen to that libertarian come out at, come out of Donnelly. <laughs> so, so you woke up a little bit late and you got a meeting in the morning and you show up and you're like, where's the train? 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 Did you know that if it took four minutes to get for that train to get there um, and you're like, when's the train coming? When's the train coming? When's the train coming? You will have a much, you, you will be much more stressed. You'll be much more dissatisfied than if it was going to take 10 minutes, but there was a sign up there that was counting down that said next train in 10 minutes, 9.59, 9.58, 9.57, 9.56. Now we can all agree that if I told you, you, in option one, it's going to take four minutes to get to the tr for the train to get there. In option two, it's going to take 10 minutes for the train to get there. Which one will be more stressful? We would all agree in that situation that we would take option two, except for the fact if I tell you that it's going to take 10 minutes. And, and by the way, I forget, I forget the, um, there's a great book that people should read called, um, um, oh my God, I can't remember it. How about the Alchemy by, by Rory Gallagher? He's the vice chairman of Ogle Magathy in, um, in England. Funny, funny guy, by the way. Just, I mean, absolutely hilarious. Follow him on Twitter. He's hilarious. Um, and so there, there was a train system in, in Europe, I think it was Denmark or something, where they didn't have the money to fix the problem. And what they did instead was they just put up those digital counters that let you know how long till the next train. And all of a sudden, like all the complaints went away, even though nothing actually trained, nothing actually changed in terms of the things that they would have to do to fix that schedule. So Doug, the friction point wasn't the time it took the train to arrive. The friction was not knowing how long you are in that 10 minute window. So that's, they identified that's the friction point. It wasn't the 10 minutes. It was not knowing. Uh, no, uh, I, would, I would say, I, I mean, I would say that the friction, I, I would say they're both friction, right? When, sure. By the way, my problem with the airlines, and, and this is what Southwest proved. Southwest proved if you can eliminate if you can eliminate the, the frustration points, let's call them frustration points, that don't have cost associated to them, then you can move the needle. So, because if you look at Southwest for all of the things, you know, when, when, when Southwest became the airline and was like the customer experience airline, you didn't get an assigned seat. And, and by the way, you didn't get to sign up for your seat number early, right? You had to show up at the airport, people would get there. Southwest is responsible for restaurants being in airports because people would get to their flight five hours early to be number one in line. You would see people, and by the way, initially you had to be first in line. Then, then you could, then, then they improved it to where you could get a card that would give you your number. You had to show up and you'd get a card. 
But initially, like you had to be there, like you were camping out for tickets to a concert. You would get there five or six hours early and you would sit down first in line so that you could be there. They had that. They gave no food. They were they had more seats per foot than every other airline, you know, assigned seats, food, et cetera. And do you know what, um, um, you know, the joke was we'll, we'll, we'll feed him peanuts was the whole joke about, cause that's all they gave. That's all you got on Southwest was they gave you a small bag of peanuts. But the reason everyone was happy with it was because Southwest said, that's all we're going to give you. Right. The airline promised a great customer experience like Delta United, et cetera, said, Oh, you're going to love it. And Southwest said, yeah, we're going to get you from point A to point B, right? So I would make the argument that Southwest got where they, where they went because they accepted the friction that customers didn't value. They and, understood their buyer persona. It's understanding well, your buyer go. persona. They added force to the people that they knew there would value point A to point B, uh, you know, quick and dirty. Let's just get you where you need to be. That's a completely different persona than uh, what was it, Virgin Airlines or, or the other example? Um, excellent point, Kevin. That that, that no, right I'm dead. There. Yeah, perp. Yeah. And I'll I'll, well, I'll close the loop in a second. You you had something else. It looks like you had something else to add. Um, completely. You go. You had, I gotta. I gotta. I gotta. You reflect. had the universal I, sign of something else to add. You I know. Had I had something right there. I'll get you it. Let me think about what that just was. So so, here's what my point. It, 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 it's kind of my central point for everybody listening. Hopefully they still are. They they didn't get lost. Like oh, this is a this is a conversation about airlines. Uh, it's relative. And, and what I, so, like, here's, here's my request. Here's my request to you as you guys do your education. Point out the relativity, relativity a little bit more. Because we're talking about it, you know, the, the way MarTech is talking about it, the way this whole digital landscape is talking about it, where, you know, SaaS companies are dictating this new playbook convincing manufacturing companies that they're supposed to play like SaaS companies they're when they're in different games and so the friction points and what that matter and all those things are different and you've got to understand what that relativity is if, if we think about it in that context then then I'm I got no problem whatsoever I mean there's just a few different layers to this right like you just you need a framework a framework that reveals your forces of friction reveals your customer experience and the pain points or friction points that may exist. But at the same time too, what we were just talking about, there's also an art form in which you prioritize the things you need to fix or revamp, right? Something that's low cost, high impact, 10 times out of 10, that should just be something you tackle today, right? High impact, high cost. All right, you have to be a little more intentional, right? So it's one, the framework just to have that visibility. But again, we also, it sounds like we had a, a layer of just how do you prioritize the right changes to make? If chat's going to be two extra heads to your business, maybe that's not something we tackle right now. But if you close your chat window off office hours or you install a chat bot, all right, that's low cost, high impact still, then you go that direction. So those, let me are the tell two, you, those are the two layers. Let me tell you, because every chat bot experience I've had, I would describe as low friction. <laughs> high friction or low friction? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, if, if we don't, consider don't low bite, friction, don't, don't bite on that one, Kevin. Don't, don't bite on that. One. If, if yeah. we can, if Let's we consider low friction, yeah. longing for the days of being able to push, you know, seventeen buttons to get to the person I want to talk to on an auto attendant, it's, it's pretty, pretty close, pretty close. All righty, sir. We have, uh, we have. Um, I did not even get into why I thought, you know, the, um, the flywheel <laughs> was not a good. So I'll give you real quickly. You got, a, you got a couple more minutes to go, or, yeah. How can I miss this? Yeah, you just teed that up so well. How can I miss that? So the flywheel, you've got to have a track going. You've got to have, so you've got to be attracting. You've got to be engaging. You've got to be delighting. And as those things happen, they reinforce each other and they drive forth. So the reason that the funnel is a bad metaphor isn't just because um, I like that you said the customer is the output. I forget how Brian Halligan, when he decided to uh, – talk about it i think he uh, i forget the the anyways doesn't matter the poop um is basically what we're getting at there um the the, the problem with the funnel is you can't change velocity right. it doesn't matter how much you pour in it, it comes out at the same speed the the other problem is if you actually look at a company that's going to scale growth um if so if you were to take the the flywheel and make it a funnel like if you were going to take a track engage delight 
the widest point would be engaged, right? And so you'd have a funnel that had a fat middle, but that's not really a very effective funnel, right? Um, do, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think too, right, you, you even mentioned this um, when we kind of kickstarted, but uh, flywheel store energy, right? I mean, like the funnel can't depict the energy you're storing by having repeat purchasers, promoters, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I think the graphics so, inherently flawed in that regard. So here's what I think, actually. Let's, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. I might, even, I might even commission an artist. I'm kidding. I just well, I always wanted to say that I'm going to commission an artist. Um, and by that, I mean, I'm going to like scribble something on a napkin. Um, yeah. I think that there is a um, attract flywheel or an attract. There's an attract flywheel. There's an engaged flywheel and there's a delight flywheel that are happening underneath that, that are, that are putting the energy into the overall flywheel. And, and again, my, my point is if you have a flywheel where different components of that flywheel are operating at different rhythms, then you're not going to get a lot of movement from that flywheel. And, and so what, what's happening is everyone, the, the danger of the flywheel metaphor, is everyone's focusing on speed. And so we're, we're saying faster is better when we should be talking about velocity, where mm. sometimes it's better. Like I know with us, if, if like one of our red flags, and I see this, you know, this is not unique, in large complex sales, when they're moving too fast, we're like, okay, we know there's something wrong, right? We got to slow it down to, to make we see that if you don't spend a certain amount of time in our, in our sales process, a, your closing rate becomes far more variant. Right. But, but what's even more important is your stickiness. Hmm. Right. What, what we find if it's too easy for you to get our full service, then, you know, easy in, easy out. Right. Whereas if, if you've been involved and you've made that commitment into there, right? So there, 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 there's a higher level of commitment, then there's a higher level of commitment once those other, you know, once, once all the various things start happening, et cetera. And so when we bring in those elements, like the, the, the reason that I have an issue with it is I think unintended. We, we keep reinforcing this idea of like, we're all Ricky Bobby. I want to go fast. I want to go fast. I want to go fast. Right. And, and it's like, there, there is a pace, like the faster flywheel is not necessarily the better flywheel. What's, what's your speed, right? It's kind of like, you know, are you in the, the are you in 18th gear? Or are you in second gear? The, you know, those types of things is, is some of what I'm getting at. I would say, I mean, I, I think that's totally fair, right? It's not the only metric to care about is just speed. It doesn't have to be the speed of your flywheel. I would say, regardless of the speed of it, you want a frictionless flywheel, right? I would say your, your intentional sales process, uh, that's adding force to your flywheel, right? So I would say force and friction are what you need to care about. The speed is going to be dependent on your organization, the, the complexity of your sales process and, and some other things. That's actually a really great point. I hadn't thought about it that way. The flywheel should be frictionless, right? Um, but the components that, if you can, they, they get you into the fly. Like the reason I say this for anyone that hasn't heard a previous episode is if we take frictionless to its logical conclusion, that means no humans involved. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, and I worry that, that the way, because we become so tech focused that we're, be, we're beginning to treat the human element like it's a bug rather than a feature. Mm. Right. Um, and, and, and the goal isn't frictionless. The goal is delight. From, from a customer experience, right? Yeah, um, promoters, yeah, 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 and, brand advocates, yeah. And, and, and think about how many of your best relationships started off because someone told you something that at first you ne didn't necessarily like to hear, hmm. right? And then you were like, oh, wait, I, I can trust you. But by the way, you show me any good CEO and I'll show you the people that they really trust. Are the, and I remember I said, good CEO. The people they really trust are the ones that they know will tell them what they don't want to hear when they need to hear that. Sure. Yeah. Right. And, and so they would describe the experience as frictionless 
even though there might be a lot of, re- of friction in the relationship because that's actually mm. part of, right? You get, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And so no, that makes sure. the flywheel frictionless. And, I, and so I can kind of, I, Mike, did, did I, did, did I like go too far there? You, you're, you're giving me. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying this part of the conversation because I would say Kevin is, uh, we're going to have to have Kevin on again. He, he, he made you do a, a Quite a bit of a 180 there, even though you don't realize it. So there Kevin, it is. Yeah, never, right. never seen it before. You know Starting what? Flywheel wins. Dug on something. I'm calling you. You know what? You know what? You know what the sign of of um, evolved thinking is a willingness to change your mind. Yeah. When 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 provided. But I've never with... seen you do it. I've never seen you do it. So there we go. Well, there we go. So how about that? Congratulations, Kevin. You're one to know. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, there's a best out of seven series, so we'll, we'll do it again. Now, wait until I'm on Agency Unfiltered. Then we'll see That's what happens. That's right. <laughs> yeah. what are the, oh, no. no. <laughs> That's going to be a good one. That'll be a good one for sure. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Black Line Kevin, Podcast. Kevin, that was awesome. Yeah, everybody, dog, Mike, thanks for having me, guys. Sorry. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Had a lot of fun. Until next time, everybody.